Praise God. I love the worship that I have felt and the Spirit of God that's in this place. An old song came to mind a little while ago. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And I do sense the presence of the Lord. I I come to you not with really a sermon, but a burden today. And I pray that God would help me, that I would be able to just say what I need to say and and uh, God would give me the liberty to say it without uh, being misunderstood. But I want you to go with me to the book of 2 Timothy, the second chapter. You can stand for the reading of the word. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And I'm going to read beginning with verse 24. And down through the end of that second chapter, Second Timothy chapter 2. When we finish reading there, we're going to go back to Matthew chapter 18, verse number 43. All of our guests, we thank you for being here today. And our church family, it's good to see more of you coming back in. I do know we're still living under some uh, state uh, guidelines. We're trying to be mindful of that. So I would admonish the church, please don't take your liberties too far. Uh, Don't just assume that people are as comfortable as you are. Uh, And so we want to be mindful of that. Uh, I do know that there is a point in time where the people of God have to be distinguished by their faith, not by their fears. Amen. Somewhere there is a a line that differentiates between how the world responds to things and how we as a church and as believers respond. And I'm not advocating carelessness by any stretch. I do what you do. I wash my hands. I try to be careful. But um, be as careful as you want to be. There's some things that you're not going to avoid in life. They're just part of life. And uh, we live through those moments. I've survived many of them, and so have you. And I believe we're going to survive this one. I believe we have a window of opportunity before this thing really begins to turn in a very ugly direction. And we need to take advantage of that. Second Timothy chapter 2. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. That statement there has always troubled me. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves you see most of our struggles are not really with other people most of our deepest struggles are with ourselves. and so the minister his responsibility is to help those who oppose themselves if God peradventure will give them repentance or will God will make a way they can, they can get back. They can return 
to the acknowledging of the truth. So what is in limbo in this particular setting is not personality. It is not preference. It's not likes or dislikes, but it's truth and how truth applies to our individual lives. And he said, there are going to be people that are going to be in opposition to truth, to what is right. And your responsibility is to help reconcile them to that truth and help bring them to a place where they can, as verse 26 says, if a man or, or verse 26 is, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will and that they may recover themselves. Say that with me. Recover themselves. That they could regain their focus that they could regain their senses and come in alignment with what is true what is right Matthew chapter 18 another passage of scripture that has always always troubled me Matthew chapter I'm sorry let me go back to Matthew chapter 5 I wrote down the wrong verse Matthew chapter 5 and let me find it now don't rely on your computer because your computer only puts in what you put there and I put in the wrong verse amen Well, help me, brother. You're the scholar. He talks about, this is an embarrassing moment. I will tell you that right now. I'm, I'm, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. If your foot offends you, cut it off. 29. First 20. Thank you, honey. There's the real scholar over there. You just didn't know it. Twenty-nine. Oh, right there it is. I know what that is. That's that's Mark's writings. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is better. Everybody say it is better. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. The next verse. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. He was talking to them 
about dealing with children, but he, he highlights an issue that goes beyond children. And he said, if the eye offends thee, pluck it out. It would be better if your hand offends thee. And the word offend means to trip up or cause you to stumble. It's scandalon, which was what they used to bait a trap to lure an animal into it. And he said things in life are going to happen that are going to lure you into situations. And if you're not careful, it's going to trap you. And he said it would be better for you that you cut the foot off. It would be better for you to go through life maimed. Now, I understand this morning that I can be misunderstood, so please hear me well. Uh, sometimes the role of a preacher is not just to encourage you, but it's to stir you. And I want to do that. And my subject this morning is this, a desperation to live. A desperation to live. Say that with me. A desperation to live. God bless you. You may be seated. <clears throat> These are very sobering times in which we are living. There is so much at stake today that I believe it, it behooves all of us to be awake and to be sensitive and spiritually alert. I believe we are living in the closing hours of time, and I believe the clock of God's destiny is ticking away toward that climactic moment. Don't you think for a moment that there is not an evil stratagem that is being worked in this present chaos in our country and in our world. It's the end time. And it's time for us to wake up. Amen. It's time for us to be stirred like we have never been stirred before. I realize that when you read passages like Matthew and you read scriptures that are so sobering as those it makes you step back and and ask yourself is that really what god intended is that really what god meant but i want you to understand he was not advocating the mutilation of your human body it was a figure of speech. It was a way of emphasizing there's this extreme measure that is taken so that you can get a glimpse of what is really important there. And so it highlights something that is of critical importance. Not the cutting away of the hand, but what that would pretend or what it would help you toward. Now I realize that literally he was not telling us to go out and cut off our hand or cut off our foot or pluck out our eye. But there is a spiritual application that is very important 
for you and I to grasp. When we read from Paul's writings to Timothy, we were reading a letter from an elder to a young minister concerning his responsibilities, his duties as a preacher, and they were to help give guidelines and to give direction to people. It was to be a servant of the Lord. That is my responsibility. That is my role, to be a servant of the Lord. I'm not here to advance my cause or my agenda or my purpose. I'm not here to promote my ideas, but I come to you this morning as a servant of the Lord and as a servant of the Lord. I don't come to fight with you. I don't come to quarrel with you. I don't come to war with you. I'm not here to dispute with you. I am here to awaken you. I am here to stir you and to do that in a way that would be kind and generous and 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 he talks to Timothy about being ready to teach and be gentle and kind in your dealing with people and handling people and patient with them and enduring uh the ill and forbearing the the words that are spoken and in gentleness and in gentleness, training and educating and giving guidance for the purpose that you might help people who are hurting themselves, people who are opposing themselves, instructing those who are their own worst enemy. To, to oppose here means to place oneself in opposition against. Think about it. Placing yourself in opposition, not against an ideology, not against a theory, not against a principle, but against yourself. That you have, you, you have, you have helped, uh, further the, the enemy's work in your life or his influence by becoming your own worst enemy. And I, when I read that a few months ago again, I went through Timothy and I was reading that passage of scripture. I, I paused and I, I had to ask myself, how, how do I become an enemy to myself? How do I come in conflict with myself? And and when I started looking at it, I realized that at the bottom of all of it was truth and my relationship to truth. And as I began to consider what the scripture was saying and what Paul was trying to teach and admonish Timothy concerning preaching and dealing with people was that you are handling truth, that you are handling life. And there are times that people come in opposition, not against you, but against what is being preached or the truth. And they do not accept it in that, uh, in that term, or they don't accept it in that manner. And so they, they are, they, they pervert it, or they try to dilute it, or they, they massage it a little bit so it's a little more comfortable and palatable for them to receive. It's not so harsh. It doesn't draw so many stark lines in their life. There's not so many boundaries that, you know, they're just kind of gray. They just kind of fade out, but there's no stark demarcation of this life or, 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 or this line or this thing in my life, this principle in my life 
and, and, and he was dealing with people that had heard the truth, but as life sometimes happens, they begin to, to, to work on that truth and, and, and try to massage it to better fit their theory and their ideas and their thoughts about God and what they thought God would be. And it seemed too harsh that thou shalt not. I mean, you know, that, that seems so cruel that you would limit my life by saying thou shalt not. And so we try to work on that to make it a little more palatable. Well, here's an option for you to consider. And the Lord didn't ask me about my consideration. He just said, thou shalt not. Now, I don't have to like it, but that doesn't change the fact of what it is. It is the truth, and it has been given to me to help me. The truth is to help balance my life and keep me in the right path. So I don't get to debate it or argue it. It's my responsibility to try and live it. So how does one oppose truth? Well, I believe we oppose truth when we pervert it, when we we change it, you know, we tweak it. You know, we take the edges off of it. It's not as harsh. It's not as hard. It's not as demanding. It's not as obligatory. It's, it, it, it's, it's more suggestive. You know, it's like, well, if you feel like this in the morning, this might be a good thing for you to do. That's what happens when we start pampering with truth. We, we find a way to make it work for us and we become intoxicated with our error. We start thinking that, man, that's great. That's a great, that's wonderful. That includes more. And I'm not, I'm not against inclusion, but there's some things that truth is going to cut out of my life. There are some things that when you draw a line of truth around your life, there's some things that are not going to be allowed inside that parameter. Now you can view that as being too harsh, but the way I view it is that must be what God says defines life. And if this is what God says defines my life, then that's what I want around my life. I want those kind of boundaries that will help give me what life really intends to give. Amen. And so, how do I become an enemy to myself? I'm going to tell you how. By what we tolerate, by what we condone, by what we wink at, by what we allow, by what we embrace, by what we make room for, amen, by what we endorse. When I am unwilling to face truth, then I am in essence, becoming my own worst enemy. My brother said it, I've said it, you don't need an enemy to be bad. You don't need a devil to be bad. If you're not careful, you can take care of that job for the devil. But they are opposing themselves. And his purpose was to help them recover. His purpose was to help them regain their senses. His purpose was to sober them up. They, they had become intoxicated in this, the, 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 the imbibing of 
all of these theories and philosophies and ideas that had kind of filtered into the church, all of these different backgrounds that started coming into the church. And, 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 and this guy said, well, you know what? This kind of works with what I came out of. And so instead of embracing truth, they try to bring with them all of this, these theories and ideas. And so Paul's trying to help Timothy deal with this. And he said, you need to wake these people up. You need to help sober them because they have become intoxicated. And I want to tell you something this morning, church family. I am fearful that in the day in which we live, many of us are being in becoming intoxicated on the mixture of theories and ideas and well you can't believe that because that excludes this person or you can't say that because that draws too stark of a line I didn't make this up church God is the one that ordained this and so when he said draw a line there I want to make sure that's where I draw the line because he knows how life works best And he knows what will not work with truth. Amen. His purpose was to help them recover. I wish that I could help somebody do that this morning. I pray that I can help you. Because sometimes we become trapped in the web of our own making. We become trapped by our own desires and by our own own carnality and our own ideas, and sometimes, sometimes we become trapped by our offenses. We are offended, and we never, we never figure out how to deal with an offense. We, we, we cannot bear the offense of someone else. I want to tell you something about life that you need to understand this morning. God will never give you the grace to bear somebody else's offense. He will give you the grace to bear yours, but he is never going to give you the, 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 the grace to bear somebody else's offense. And so you need to make sure that you aren't offended because somebody else was offended. Amen. It's a spiritual principle. But sometimes we become trapped by offenses. We are wounded or we are hurt. And we never find a way to reconcile that. And so we carry that through life and we become trapped in that. We become snared in that. And we wonder why we never experience real spiritual freedom. And we wonder why we struggle with that steep hill. You know, it keeps coming back up. I'll tell you how to get rid of it. Deal with the offense. Deal with it in your own life personally. Come to an altar and do what the scripture says. And do what you can do and leave the rest in the hands of God. Amen. There are passages of Scripture that are so sobering to me that I can't read them without shuddering. And Matthew chapter 18 is one of those. To fully grasp what the message is saying makes you take a very deep, deep look. And there are verses that literally uh, shake me to my roots when I read them. Because if I understand the implications of them, then it requires more of me. And you cannot read Matthew 18, 8 and 9 without being sobered. You cannot read it without understanding there's an extreme 
measure that's being taken here. Some people say it's brutality. Some people say it's magnifying the grotesque. That's not the purpose of the analogy. The purpose of the analogy was to highlight one thing, and that was life. The most important thing here is to live. And the most important thing for you is to live. It is not to just go through life, but to live. And you cannot allow anything to compromise your ability to live and whatever it is that has to go whatever it is that needs to be removed then if it means cutting it off then cut it off because it's more important for me to live than it is for me to keep all of this stuff that's causing me trouble when we were kids we used to like to try to trap Animals and we would build snares and traps. One of the most sobering things that I think I ever experienced in my life was going to check a trap one day and there was evidence that something had been there. There was evidence it was in the trap, but there was no animal. I was shocked when I looked down and I saw in that trap a piece of a foot, a piece of a leg, but no animal. And, and you, you know, as a young mind, you start figuring out, wow, it looks like that that animal literally chewed its leg off to get free from I know that's grotesque but that it literally chewed its leg off to get free from that entrapment now I'm not saying that to gross you out I'm saying that to make a point the point is that even an animal not understands the value of life and there is nothing in this life that's worth being trapped by there is nothing in this world worth being held in check by and if I have to go to an extreme measure If I have to forgive without being forgiven, if I have to go to them without them ever coming to me, then I'm willing because I want to live. I don't want to die. I want to live and I'm not going to let anything trap me in life. Come on, clap your hands to the Lord and give him praise. You know, the fact is that we are way too passive in our spiritual life. We lose things spiritually and we can keep going for weeks and months and years before we ever come to a point where we realize something's not right here. Something's missing in my life. The joy, the peace. I'm going through the motions. I'm, I do all the right stuff. I, I don't do this and I don't do that and I do this and I do that. But I, I, there's, it's just like I'm, it's just like a routine that I'm going. It, it's not really, I'm, what's wrong with me? I'm going to tell you what could be very possibly wrong is that I have become my own enemy. 
I have become my own worst nightmare. I have become my own entrapment. I have become my own uh, uh, problem. And, and, and the reason is because of what I, my relationship to truth. There are just some things about the word that I don't like. And because I don't like it, I'm unwilling to embrace it. What we fail to understand is that when we fail to embrace it, we are missing out on the benefits of what that truth was given for. That God will never give you a truth without there being a corresponding blessing that comes with that truth. There's never a reason that God speaks a word without there being also a purpose for it in my life. And the reason God said thou shalt not was not just to restrict me and put me in some little box where I couldn't do what I wanted to do. But it was actually my safeguard. It was what helped keep my life from being destroyed. And we're living in a world right now that's trying to tear down every safeguard that is in our life. They're trying to tear down every barrier. Because a barrier, that's a restriction And we never take time to stop and say, well, why is that fence there? Why is that fence there? Why is that boundary there? We just see it. We say, oh, that's got to go. I heard a general yesterday make some statements that shook me to my, my, my shoelaces. He said some of the stuff that's going on in our country right now, nobody's taking time to stop and ask the question, what does that mean? And what we are interpreting it to be is not what it was meant to be. But nobody's taking the time. It's just a boundary. It's just something we don't like. And so we tear it down. And we fail to realize that that was there not to keep me in, but to keep the enemy out. That reason that God put that line there was for my protection. It was for my safety. It was for my good. It was for my blessing. And so here's an animal that values life so much it's willing to part with one of its members so it can live. That's pretty desperate. That's pretty desperate. Or whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, I want to live. Whatever I've got to do, whatever I've got to get rid of, whatever I've got to get away from, whatever I've got to quit entertaining, whatever I've got to quit endorsing, whatever I've got to quit liking, whatever I've got to stop, whatever I've got to put an end to, whatever I've got to do, I want to live. I don't want to die in this dilemma. I don't want to die in my sin. I want you to help me. And if it takes cutting it, if it takes abandoning it if it takes walking away from it then I would rather walk away from it and live than to stay in it and be trapped give it up cut it off cut it out anything that would prevent the blessings of God from flowing into my life Anything that would compromise 
God's truth. You know, some of us have lived long enough that we found a way to justify everything we do. Even though Scripture may say something different. Amen. We found a way to dilute it, to mutate it, to minimize it, to sensationalize it, to lessen its effect on our lives because it's more palatable. Then I don't have to make these changes. Then I don't have to, I don't have to make those decisions. And so we, we compromise. But my question to you this morning is, do you treasure your God life so much? Do you treasure your relationship with God so much? Do you treasure the life that God has given you through the power of the Holy Ghost so much that you will not allow anything to compromise that, that you will not allow anything to dilute that, that you will not allow anything to minimize that, that you will not allow anything to separate you from that? Do you love the God life so much that if it takes extreme measures that I've got to cut some things off? I'm not talking about literally physically cutting your hand off, but there's some things in our life that if we would just cut ties to this morning, I mean really cut our ties to them there would be a liberty and a freedom that we would step into and a deliverance that would come to us amen but we're way too passive we look at that loss and we say well you know it's not that big a deal I'm not really that bad. You know, I still have nine. I may have had ten at one time. But I still have nine. So who worries? I mean, you just lose things in life. How many of you have never lost anything in life? Never lost it. Oh, see, we got 100% cooperation this morning. We've all lost stuff in life. I I understand there's some things that you lose in life that aren't worth going back for, but there's some things that we lose in life. We better take time to go back and try to find them because they mean the difference between life and death. They define our destiny. They determine who we are. They define what we are. You see that dowry that was being spoken of there in Luke chapter 15. That was part of what her inheritance was. That's part of what she had been given, her dowry for a day to come. And she said, I'm not going to let any of it be lost. And if it's only one coin, I'm not going to be satisfied living in this house until I have all my coins back. And so she gets a light and she gets a broom and she sweeps the house until she finds that which was lost. And the shepherd comes in one night and he's watching the sheep as they go through the sheep fold. They come through the door. One, two, three, fifty, sixty-one, seventy-two, eighty-eight, eighty-nine, ninety-five, ninety-six, ninety-seven, ninety-eight, ninety-nine. 
Oh, well, 99 out of 100 who wouldn't be satisfied with that? Who wouldn't be content with that? I'll tell you who wouldn't be. A shepherd wouldn't be. And that's why I'm, that's why I'm preaching to some of you this morning. Because you have gotten distracted. You have allowed life to turn. You've allowed the things that have happened over the last few months to change your philosophy of life and your ideas of life. And the fact is, truth is truth. No matter what generation what your age group is. It doesn't matter if you're a nexer, a generation Xer, or an eraser. It doesn't matter. Truth is truth. And that's what we judge life by. Is this true? Is this true? And there are far too many that are counting and you're not counting quite as high as you used to count. Because there's some things that have come up missing. And so the shepherd does what a shepherd does. He leaves the 90 and 9. And he goes looking for the one. He goes looking for the one. And he searches hill and dale. Mountains and valleys and crevices and, and all of these places. I don't know how long it took him. But the Bible said he sought for it until he found it. And he picks it up and he puts it on his shoulders. And he carries it back to the sheepfold. Because he's not contented with 99. He wanted 100. He's not contented with just a little bit of what I used to have. Well, you know, life just does some stuff to you and you never have it all. Is that true? Is that really true? That life does numbers on you and you just have to accept? Or can you have it all? I have to believe either I can have it all or God would not have put that kind of encouragement in the Scripture. God would not have put that illustration in there if 100% wasn't what God wanted me to have. And so I may not have 100% today, but I'm striving for it. I may not have everything that I need, but I'm certainly not satisfied in saying, well, this is good enough for me. I want all of it back. I want to find everyone. I want every coin that belongs to me. I want every blessing that is mine. I want every promise God has given me. I want every truth God has brought to my life. I want everything God has promised me. You can stand. You know, the sad part of this story, though, is found in that third illustration. Two sons, one of them came and asked his father for all that he, that came to him, his portion. And after a few days, he's, he went away to a far country. It is ironic to me 
that out of these three lost things, two of them somebody else could find, but one of them only the lost person could find. Daddy couldn't go after him. He had to wait for him to come back to his house. And one day, one day, feeding the swine, looking at this, what it wouldn't be called food, whatever this stuff is, this slop. That's what they used to call it, slop. It was the remains of everything nobody had eaten. And he's looking down at these pigs gorging themselves on this leftover stuff. Leftover. And he said, oh, how, how many servants in my Father's house had bread enough and to spare, and I perish in my hunger. And then he did the most powerful thing that any human can do. He said, I will arise and go to my Father's house. You see, there's some things you're going to have to save yourself from. I'm not saying you're your own savior. But I am saying there's some things that you're going to encounter in life that God's not going to take care of. You're going to have to cut it off. You're going to have to determine the value of what that means. You're going to have to determine... Is life worth that kind of sacrifice? Is life worth that kind of commitment? Is life worth that kind of soul-outness? Is life worth that? And I pray that somebody will understand me today and say yes. Yes. Whatever I've got to do to preserve my life, whatever I've got to do to stay close to God, whatever I've got to do to keep this stuff out of my life, whatever I've got to do to cut away all of these hindrances and distractions, whatever I've got to do, I'm tired of living with less. I'm tired of being satisfied with just a handful when God gave me more than that and God wants me to have all of that. So I believe what the real purpose of this passage of Scripture was, was to give us a desperation for life. There is a goal that is worth any sacrifice, any discipline, any self-denial to attain it. And that is life. I want to live. I don't want to die. In this, I don't want to, don't want to perish 
in this sin. I don't want to die in this trap that I'm in. And whatever measure, whatever measure, what, if I have to say no to some stuff, then I'll just say no to some stuff. If I have to cut off some friendships, if I have to disconnect from the internet, if I have to get off of social media, you know, here's what some people don't seem to grasp is that they are being used to further an agenda that's not their agenda, it's somebody else's agenda. And so you get all caught up and you get enwrapped in 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 an issue in a family or a situation or a person or a relationship with somebody and and you if you're not careful you let social media become a medium of mitigating your problems and you know what social media has never mitigated any problem it only makes problems I'm going to tell you how to mediate your problem get to an altar and get on your knees and say God I don't know about anybody else I don't even care if they even understand what I'm doing but I don't want to be trapped I don't want to be caught up in this I don't want to be snared by this Amen. I don't want my spirit soiled and dirtied by somebody else's dirt. Amen. I want want to live. I want to live. Is there anybody here this morning that wants to live? Is there anybody here today that feels like you may not be as close to God as you need to be, but you're hungry to get closer to Him? Would you... Would you respond right now? Would you just find a place to pray? If you don't feel comfortable coming to the front, would you at least kneel and bow where you are and say, God, I'm not where I've lost some stuff in my life. I've become way too passive in my spiritual journey. I've gotten too used to some things being missing from my life. There's some joy that's missing, Lord. There's some peace that's missing, Lord. There's some happiness that's missing, Lord. God, I need you this morning. I need you to help me right now. I need you to touch me right now. I need you to speak to me right now. I need you to move in my life right now. Because I want to live. 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 What more? I don't want to be trapped. I don't want to be snared. I don't want to be snared by some offense somebody did to me or somebody hurt me or somebody said something. Lord, I need you to free me. I need you to help me today to cut these cords. To sever these ties, Lord. Oh, God. Oh, God, draw me close to you. Help me to understand the importance of truth in my life. Help me to understand that's what I need to judge my life by. 